Hey friends, welcome to Boss Barista, the podcast about workplace equity and employee empowerment in coffee and beyond. I'm Ashley Rodriguez. Life is hard. Life is especially hard right now. We're in the ninth month of a global pandemic. We're rounding out the end of 2020, which means for many of our listeners that the days are getting shorter and the dread of the current moment can sometimes feel paralyzing. How do you take a step in any direction? And how do you know if that step is right? The short answer is that you don't. You don't know if any decision you make is going to be right, but sometimes taking a step in any direction is enough to shake something loose. Carlos Sims Jr. believes in action, in forward motion, in taking steps to actualize the vision of the world that he wants to create. Carlos's enterprising attitude is not without consideration. He's the owner of Happy Home Coffee Roasters, which is a business centered around his identity as a family man. His children are on the bags of coffee beans, his family is proudly displayed on the company's homepage, and he's had to make a lot of careful decisions about who he is and how he wants to share that, eschewing trends or fears of what's cool to create something that's true to him. Carlos is a fanny pack touting minivan driving dad. And in this episode, we talk about what it means to be your authentic self and take action to actualize your goals. We spend this episode swapping stories, getting wax poetical about the less than glamorous aspects of a shared childhood spent in Florida. He grew up in Jacksonville and I grew up in Miami. And we talk a lot about action. Risk is scary. Life is uncertain. But the exciting thing about action, about taking a step in any direction, is that something is bound to change. Something is bound to just shake a little bit loose. Here's Carlos. Carlos, I was wondering if you could describe where you are right now. Um, I am in Jacksonville, Florida, the home of where my coffee journey began. <laughs> is that is that the official banner that you see as you leave the airport? No. <laughs> <laughs> I would. I'm not that important. <laughs> I remember just because you you've lived in Florida too, so I feel like this is, you know. Florida people talking Florida shit but when that Will Smith song came out yes and (laughs) every time you'd go to the airport you'd see like this big banner that said welcome to Miami yeah that's so funny big Willie style I had that on cassette that's so funny I think I had that on CD but that might have been like one of the very first CDs I ever bought like I bought for me because I was I was an independent kid and I was like yeah I'm buying this my own money (laughs) (laughs) are you drinking anything right now uh just had some coffee and right now i'm drinking some water um trying to get better at that my wife gets on me all the time so yeah trying to it's actually it's natural florida spring water too so zephyr hills shut up Ooh, i do love zephyr hills oh my god i miss florida so much (laughs) which is a phrase i never thought i'd say as often as i say it you grow up you're like oh Actually, I, you know, we were driving down the beach uh, the other day. We, you know, we're 
social distancing, and so we had a little car picnic in the in the car and um, down near the beach. And I was telling my wife, I was like, man, I am kicking myself for not coming down here more often. It's like 30 minutes away from where I live and right at my fingertips. I never came. Yeah, same. I lived... Growing up in Miami, I lived pretty much as far away as possible from the beach. So when people are like, oh, did you go to the beach all the time? I was like, no, <laughs> I lived like I lived like almost in the swamp. I lived almost like right by the out like the Everglades. Oh, um, gotcha. Yeah. I lived only a couple blocks from like Alligator Alley. And yeah. I and I just never went to the beach partially because I didn't have a car until um, until the summer right before I left for college. But every time I go back to Miami now. Um, obviously I haven't been back in a couple of years, but every time I go back now, I'm like, this place fucking rules. It is weird. There are no rules here. Everyone's just, just like everything that I would never do. (laughs) Like I I have like a thing about flip-flops. Like I don't like wearing flip-flops, but I'm like, nope, there are no rules here. Like my feet are out. Um, and I just, and it's just great. I love Miami so much and I love Florida so much. Yeah. That's so funny. Flip-flops. Oh man. It's never in Chicago, but always in Miami. Yeah. Um, so this is actually the second time that we have recorded a podcast together. We did the Matchbook Coffee podcast together, and we talked about like a lot of really interesting themes, but at a very surface level. So I wanted to have you back and talk about some of these bigger ideas yeah. on this show. So just to give folks some background, can you talk a little bit about... Uh, happy home and your roastery and how you got started? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah. So uh, my background is uh, hospitality. I was uh, I was a hospitality director and catering sales director for Chick-fil-A. Um, and I was just, yeah, my, my path was to own an op- owner, operatorship, whatever you want to say, however you want to say that. I basically was going to own my own Chick-fil-A. That was my path. And um uh, that path was, we had just moved to a new city. We we're in Des Moines, Iowa at the time, and um, um, just got you know plugged in with my local church, and was really just loving the city. And this path was just going to take me away from it. And so, um, yeah, as I was looking for opportunities to stay, uh, a nonprofit coffee shop was opening, and they needed an assistant manager and trainer. And I was like, well, I don't know that much about coffee, but I know. I, I'm really good with people. I can, I think I can figure it out. And I think I would love to like start roasting. And so that was the kind of the caveat was if I came on, then I would have to eventually take on the head roaster position. And yeah, two weeks in, I was behind the roaster practicing. It was a Dietrich IR7. Um, I was practicing on some really old stale beans and I just fell in love with the science and the, the process and, um, yeah, fast forward three years later, um, that actually ended up being one of my worst jobs I ever had. <laughs> um, we don't ever talk about bad jobs here at Boss Barista. So no, that's not something. No, no, no I'm, I'm kidding. I mean, there's, you know, it's anyway, I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole. I don't want to offend anybody. Um, but it was, I, I just recognized that I needed to make a change. Um, that had, you know, I, had been trying to stay at that that company, um, that organization, um, having negotiations about my salary, really trying to figure out ways that I could retire there because um, I really loved what I was doing. I was in, you know, 
on the blackest part of the city. I was rubbing shoulders with people. I was introducing this community to coffee and and I loved what I was doing. But the organization that I was working for was mainly um, upper class um, white males. And um, a lot of the things that I was like, hey, we shouldn't do this. We should do this. Like it was just ignored and da da da. So, um, you know, at the end of the day, I was just tired of being silenced. And I was like, I'm going to start this on my own. I'm going to create a company that I can be proud of that really reflects my values and who I am. And there was one day over dinner, me and my wife were just spitballing and I was like, what should we call it? You know, we thought about like legacy coffee. We thought about um, like heritage coffee. And I was just like, I just want to create a happy home. And I was like, oh, happy home. Like that's, and we, our eyes got super big and we were like, that's it. Um, I felt like it was super simple, but also like profound and, and, and like how you could talk about it. And, um, so that was March of 2019. Um, we applied for the LLC, um, around that time too, we were debating on moving to Hawaii. Um, and, um, I was a pastor at a church and um, I've always had a desire to uh, start a church in Hawaii. And so um, we were just like, let's, you know, we got one life, like less, like, I don't want to live my life with regrets and what could have been. And I was like, the worst thing that happens is we try to move to Hawaii. We move there and all this fails and we're stuck in Hawaii. (laughs) And um, yeah, so we just pulled the trigger on it. Um, and in June of 2019, I left that job, um, about 43 grand a year, salary, benefits, and um, we started working two barista jobs and building my business on the side. And so that's where that's where I got to. That's where I'm at now. Um, not working those barista jobs anymore. Um, we've since moved to Michigan, where my, my wife's family uh, is, and They've graciously allowed us to stay in their basement while we plan to save for our move to Hawaii, which we bought tickets uh, a couple months back for August 16th of next year. So, yeah. that There's so many amazing, I think, nuggets in there about forward motion and taking advantage of like the one life that you have. Mm-hmm. Um, I think when I talk to people about mistakes – and not to say that there are any mistakes um, that you've outlined or anything like that, but the idea that like, what's the worst thing that can happen, yeah. you know? Yeah. Like if we move to Hawaii and it sucks. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I there's, yeah, I, I, I have, um, I don't know what, where I get that from. I am a I am a visionary. I am always five years in the future, which, you know, sometimes that's to my detriment. Um, but yeah, I, I just really I, I I want to not just passively let life pass me by, um, and a lot of like my faith informs a lot of that, but um, a lot of it too is just like my personality. Like I I want to like pursue things, and I want to like I want to make a difference. I want you know at the end of my life, I want people to look at me and the things that I've accomplished and. And see that the world is better, you know, because of the things that I've tried to pursue. And so, um, 
yeah, these moves seem, they don't seem as daunting to me as probably, you know, my wife is like, okay, I trust you. Like, let's just talk about this a little bit more. And, uh, but she's super supportive as well. Uh, but yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. I love that you talked about the idea of wanting to look back on your life and think, look at what I've accomplished or look at the things that I've done, because I think it's easy to forget that, to forget that we look upon moments of action rather than moments of inaction. Mm, yeah, that's really good. I don't know if I've ever thought about it like that. That's I'm going to write that down. I know. I think I might write that down too. You know, when you say something, you're like, where'd that come from? <laughs> <laughs> but, but I think about this, I, 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 it reminds me of this moment when, um, I was living in New York and then I was offered a job in San Francisco and I really debated like, should I take this job? And I was like, what's the worst thing that can happen? Yeah. Like, what's the worst thing I can happen? Could I come back to New York? Absolutely. Can I maybe love San Francisco? Absolutely. Could I hate San Francisco? Yes. And I actually really hated it. Um, And I ended up leaving that job within a year. But you have to, like, remember that the things that happen in your life, everything's like a a series of of motion, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, if I hadn't moved to San Francisco, I wouldn't have met Jasper, who was the first ho-host of Boss Barista. Mm. Yeah. Would I be doing what I'm doing? Would I be here in this moment right now if I didn't make that decision to do that? And not to say that another pathway isn't valid. Like maybe I'd still be in New York doing barista work that I loved because I left a job that I really loved when I was in New York. But I don't know. I think about like all the paths. Like I always think about the timeline. Like what timeline is this? Yeah, I know. Uh, Have you seen Community? yes sorry i love that episode (laughs) it's like the time you know like it's like what timeline are we living in right now oh man we can nerd out about that stuff all all day i know i agree i feel like i think about that episode like maybe once every 36 hours i'm like oh god what timeline am i am i on but i think a lot about you know the different like the hundred thousand ways your life can unfold yeah and in certain ways I think about the one that I'm on and I'm like, is this, this might not be the right one. There's no way to objectively mm-hmm. determine what's the right timeline, mm-hmm. but yeah. it's kind of fucking cool to think that life can just unfold in so many different ways. Yeah. So it's exciting to sometimes make choices. Yeah. And I think that's why like living with intentionality is so key because like mm-hmm. all of our choices, all of the decisions that we make, or even the decisions that we don't make, they all have an effect to some um, some account, and they and they all always affect someone else. And so, you know, even like your, um, you know, the post that you put out, you know, the we are not family um, joint, like, um, like those actions, like every like actions have repercussions, and not being active has repercussions as well. Um, yeah, it's just, you know, it's like a ripple effect. So anyway. I'm glad that you brought up the we're not a family thing because one of the reasons I wanted to revisit our conversation is that we touched very briefly on the idea of family. Mm-hmm. And I think you and I have like perhaps different perspectives on the way that family language is used mm-hmm. and not necessarily in opposition. Yeah. Um, because something that you mentioned is that you want to build family. You want to build community. And it seems like those words are kind of tied together, but 
when I posted that that message on Instagram, I posted a graphic that just said, we are not a family. Yeah. You mentioned that some of that language has been problematic for you in the past. So I was wondering if you could talk about your relationship yeah. to that kind of rhetoric. Yeah, I, I think when it comes to the workforce, um, as a black man in the workforce, and especially, um, I think just like service jobs, I think the whole notion of upper management using the term, hey guys, we're family, like let's, that's, so I'll stay unified. It, it almost feels like this, like <laughs> this, like slave master mentality of like, hey, stay in line, you know, like I, like I, I'm, I have this job for you here. Um, I don't know. It just it kind of rubs me the wrong way when it comes when it comes to employment because it's like, hey, you're providing me a service, but I'm also providing you a service as well. Like, like it's not just a you know, it's not like, it's different from actual family. Um, and so, yeah, I, I don't know. That's, I don't know if I'm being as clear. I apologize. No, you're being, no, I think you're being super clear because there is this idea when you use familial language in the workplace, where it obscures what's actually happening. Like, like labor is a trade. Yeah. It, labor is a trade. It's I'm yeah. trading my labor for money. Yeah. And when you use that kind of language of like, oh, we're a family, you're trying to you're trying to change that relationship a little bit, yeah. I think. And I think it's almost always to the detriment of employees. And then adding the added layer of who is who is often at the bottom of the employment exactly. rungs. Exactly. It's often people of color. It's often marginalized people. Mm-hmm. So it's used as a way to manipulate the most vulnerable. Yes. Yes, and that, and that's why I'm like I like I lo- I I think family I, I really do I think that um and I understand there are gonna be people who disagree with me on this but I'm just gonna say it I I think that especially as a black man like me building my family is how um I think the black community as a as a whole is gonna move forward because so much of American history has been we're going to annihilate the family. Like we're going to, we're going to separate the fathers from, from the family, you know, which we, you know, we still see trickles from that now. Um, you know, a lot of, um, yeah, whatever. A lot of conservatives. No. Um, I'm just, you know, I'm sorry. I'm just thinking through like, you know, I'm a past. No, but you're totally right. The idea of like, yeah, you know, mass incarceration, yeah. I think it's what one in every three, young black men i'm not sure exactly what the age range is um, but i think it's something like one in three will be imprisoned at some point in their life which is nuts like we're like we're 17 percent of the population right like Mm -hmm. that's is nuts and so um where did i get off that so I, i really do think that like the cultivation of the family is what is going to continue the the black legacy in america but i also like recognize too that like when it comes to employment and all this stuff like like it is it's just different it's 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 not family (laughs) i mean what you said is like true it's like that 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 language that familial language is used um i think to um i guess un um what's the word i'm looking for to in a nice way bend someone to your will um, to, to, to leave people not um, asking questions, to leave um, employees um, just to stay silent when issues come up. And it's just it's just straight up bogus. So, 
Absolutely. Yeah. But I, I love that you've, you've identified this need to almost reclaim it as part of your narrative and your identity. Because when you look at happy home, number one, it talks about home, Mm -hmm. um, which kind of lends itself perhaps to talking about family. So how did you start to think about what you wanted your business to be? Because, you know, you go to your, your website and it's like, there's a picture of your family right there. Yeah. Yeah. Like your kids are on your bags. Yeah, I know. I, I, you know, I, I think it, it, it all kind of stems from growing up. So, like, growing up without my father, growing up raised by my mother and my grandmother, like, um, I've always had this, like, man, I want to start a family. And so when I, when I transitioned to my business, I just recognized that in order for this business to thrive and to be life-giving for myself, like, I have to be authentically who I am. And I drive a minivan. Like, I have three kids. Like, I wear fanny packs with diapers and wipes in them. Like, that's just who I am. Like, I love my family. And so, um, yeah, I, I guess, like, representing that in my business was pretty easy because it's just who I am. Um, you know, I've, I've, yeah, I've thrown around the idea of, like, when I first started of just trying to be more minimalist because, I, you know, as, like, an art form, I kind of lean toward that. But, yeah, at the end of the day, like my family is so important to me and um, so integral to who I am as a, as a, as a man, as a person, like um, I just felt like I, I, I had to be authentically who I am. So um, yeah, it was, it was, it was kind of easy in, in that regard. Um, and it, and it really just, I had to embrace it because I wanted to be taken seriously as a company. Um, I want it to be taken seriously as a coffee roaster. Um, but I had some hesitations of like being this family coffee business because I didn't want to just market to soccer moms. Like I didn't want to just have my coffee be, um, you know, people who only watch HGTV and all this stuff. And so, um, and really at the end of the day, I just had to be like, okay, like I'm just going to be who I am and then just trust that, um, the coffee will speak for itself. And so, um, that, that's an interesting debate that you had to have in your head that you leading with family or you leading with how important your family is to you might disqualify you from being taken seriously, which shouldn't be the case, but clearly you thought it, it could. Yeah. I mean, I, you don't see it, right. You don't see a lot of like, um, at least I, I shouldn't say you, I, I didn't see a, I, and I still don't, I don't see a, a ton of celebration of, of, of family. And a lot of that is, has to do with, you know, just like sometimes family sucks. <laughs> yeah. Um, family's hard. And, uh, but yeah, I, I didn't see a lot of it, especially when it came to like products and, um, and not just like coffee, but like excellent, excellently roasted coffee. Um, coffee that that was ethically sourced all like all this stuff I didn't see it it was more so like most people would have a bag and it would, and that, no, it's no shade to anybody who, who has this as a coffee business but I as I would survey specialty coffee roasters and especially coffee roasters that I loved and I admired it was like black or white bag some sort of color coordination with the region or where they're from and it was just like super oh man I 
I do not mean to offend anybody when I say this, so I apologize. It was you're not no, it, you're not. Don't worry. It was. It felt to me. It felt super sterile, and and, and you know that was my experience walking into coffee shops too. It was just like it didn't really feel like there was any life here, and so um, yeah, it, you know, when I thought about like, man, I think I want to put our kids on these coffee bags. Like, I was like, I don't know how this is gonna how this, how this is gonna. Um, be received because it's not what I see, but it has been received really well. Um, and yeah, I'm so glad that I, I took the, the initiative to do that. So um. I think you're identifying this almost like descent into sameness that coffee I think has mm-hmm. where you go into any coffee shop and it could be anywhere or done by anybody because they all look the same and that's I think not necessarily the fault of the people designing coffee shops but it's the fault of this is me getting yeah a little like social commie yeah um, but it's like this idea of like quality being prized above all else or like the idea that we celebrate these like capitalistic endeavors mm. to be one version of what is good yeah like there is no celebration of diversity mm. in a lot of different ways. Um, and it's, you know, that's why, you know, we see coffee shops that look like, you know, repurposed, reclaimed wood mm-hmm. and like rot pipes. I don't know. I'm making yeah. up words now. No, but yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it's, I don't know. I think that, um, you know, I, me and my wife have been having this discussion because, you know, part of us moving to Hawaii is we want to start a church out there and, we've been having a discussion of, you know, for us to be truly successful, I believe is like, we have to be super local. So like everything that we do has to make sense for the context in which we're trying to reach people or the context we're trying to serve coffee to. And so I would love to see like coffee shops emulate that too. Like, you know, you got a coffee shop in a super, you know, suburban place which is all dope like good for you but like i would love for coffee shops to reflect their local communities um anyway so that's just a tangent there's this book that i read called how to do nothing Mm -hmm. and at first i read it because i was like oh i need to do less (laughs) um (laughs) but as i was reading it it was talking about the idea of bioregionalism and how it applied a little bit more to nature but took some of the lessons from nature into the way that we operate in the world. And perhaps I'm misconstruing the argument a little bit, but I'll take it for, for what I need it for. But it reminded me that the things that we love often are unique to us and they should serve the community. So like the coffee shop that I love, for example, it's called four letter word. Mm -hmm. I love it because it's a reflection of my community. Mm -hmm. And if you put four letter word somewhere else, it wouldn't make sense. And likewise, if I tried to explain to, let's say if like you came to visit me and I was like, this is why I love this coffee shop. Like you wouldn't love it for the same reasons I do. And that's fine. Yeah. That's so good. Yes. Yeah. Like that is so that, I mean, even that idea of like, you know, when I thought about starting my business, I was like, when someone looks at me like, will this business make sense for who I am? It's like, and Happy Home, I, I really believe it does. Like, it is who I am. Like, I love dancing to the Lion King in the in the living room with my kids. Like, I, I love cultivating family rhythms. You know, we do a, 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 a Shabbat dinner every 
every Friday night where like we get the we get the kids like sparkling wine, or, you know, grape juice, but like sparkling wine and like we just celebrate family and we talk about the week and things that made us happy, things that made us sad. Like, yeah, that's just who I am, like apart from coffee, you know, just so. Um, yeah, that's that's really good. I, I need to get that book. I'm gonna write it down right now. I know. I um, I I feel like I need to send it. I I like sending books to people, so maybe after this, yes, I'll, yeah. I'll get your address to send it to you. Um, I wanted to talk to you though about that, the blurring of those lines, because I can imagine with your business being so entrenched in your family and the way that you operate your life, that it can feel kind of muddy sometimes like where where's the line between work and home where's the line between roasting and family and I wonder does that ever feel overwhelming um I think COVID has made it intensified because I'm working from home now um well I'm mostly I'm working from home like so my in-laws they built us a roasting facility on their property which has been really dope but it's like daddy like yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm home all the time, you know, like, so, um, that's been hard for the kids to see me, but actually like they can't be with me. Um, so that's been tough, but I, I, I try to set pretty clear, um, guidelines. So on my voicemail, you know, it says, Hey, my name's Carlos. Thanks for calling. If it's, if it's after 4 PM, like I am with my family, I will call you tomorrow. Like I, I, I just, I have to set those boundaries because, mainly because I failed at that in the past. You know, when I was at that coffee shop that I mentioned earlier, I would be screening phone calls at 9, you know, 9 p.m. And on the phone, like, trying to make my coffee orders at, like, 10 p.m. Or, like, I need to put my kids down, but I go and take a phone call. And it was just super unhealthy. Um, And so, yeah, I've just uh, made... Uh, pretty clear um, parameters on, on, on family time. So, and the biggest part is just that, that nighttime after 4 p.m. You know, I work from 8 to 4 and um, put then from at the 4, like from 4 to the kids go down, it's, it's I'm, I'm on dad mode. And after the kids go down, I'm there with my wife and she goes to sleep. And if I'm not sleepy, then then I'll maybe do stuff, but most of the time I just fall asleep. So, um, that's really, that was, those are boundaries that I need to hear. Um, (laughs) because I'm, if I'm being totally frank, I'm sort of struggling with that right now. Um, and I'm not sure a hundred percent what that looks like. Um, and I'm sure that you probably grapple with this in your mind too, this idea that if you're not working, you feel Mm. bad. Yeah. And, and I was wondering, how do you, yeah, how do you deal with that? Because I'm I haven't figured it out. Yeah, um, I mean honestly, a lot of my faith informs that. So I mean, if you don't mind me sharing, I can share it. Um, no, go for it. Okay, yeah. So, um, yeah. So as a Christian, like the the Bible teaches that God created the world, and on the seventh day He rested. And it's not because you know God was super exhausted. He's like, oh my gosh, like I need to take a break. I need to, you know, put my feet up a little bit. It was like, no, like God looked back on his creation and he, he, he marveled at at the work that he did. And so when God chose to create us, um, I believe that he, 
he gives us rest so that we can be reminded of his goodness, um, of his blessings in our lives. And, um, and that's not to say that life is all peachy keen, right? Like I'm, I mean, the reason I'm in Florida right now is because my grandmother is going to chemotherapy and like, it just, it sucks. Like I haven't been able to see her because of COVID and da, da, da. Um, so it's not to say that life is like all peachy keen, you know, cream and whatever, but, um, Rest really is a gift to to remind us that, um, yeah, that, that God is looking out for us, that he cares for our well-being and our mental health. And, and so, yeah, I think I've just kind of seen that. And um, there have been a couple books I could share with you when we get offline um, that have really helped inform me of that. Um, a lot of kind of like spiritual practices like meditation and um the art of saying no, you know, basically the art of saying no, um, that have really helped me, um, as I've, yeah, I'm an overworker, you know, I was, I, I can work 60 hours, 60, 70 hours, like it's nothing, um, right. but it's not healthy for me, like everyone hates me when I, <laughs> when I work that much, right. um, so yeah, I, I think that, um, I guess you yeah, had to sum up everything I'm saying. I think that, yeah, rest is hard. Like, it's work. You have to work to rest. Like, you have to intentionally plan to to rest. Mm-hmm. But I've seen the benefits of it, and it's been hard, and I'm still trying to get better at it. Um, but, yeah, recognizing that if I'm not rested, like, I'm going to be – I'm not really going to be that much helpful to anyone um, that I, I, I want to help. So, um, yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, Um, I think I feel like the last book I read on work and spirituality was in college. I read the Protestant work ethic and the spirit of capitalism, which is kind of the opposite. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) it's kind of the opposite where it's like you like God loves you because you work hard. And it's like, oh, this is how America. Yeah, that is not was founded. That is false. I'm going to. Yeah, I I, that is false. Oh, my gosh. I hate. Oh, I know. I hated that book and I still hate it. Um, but it was one of those books that like they made you read in college and then you read the communist manifesto and you're like, Oh, this is the opposite. (laughs) Um, but I want to talk a little bit about, um, about happy home and how you started because Mm -hmm. something that, um, one of the things that I love to talk about is money and how people start their businesses. And something that you mentioned before we got on the air is that you wanted to build your business debt free. So I was wondering Mm -hmm. if you could talk about what that meant for you. Yeah, it means a lot of, <laughs> it means a slow, slow growth is what it essentially it means. Um, yeah, I think that um, because of systemic racism, that the black community as a whole is not well educated in finances. That's why I love um, the count. You had her on here. Uh, Coffee. Oh, yeah, Tiani. Yes, yes. Like I love that account and her business because like, it really is a, a, a need, especially in black communities. Um, but um, yeah, because of because of that, like you know, I didn't grow up hearing about savings and 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 um, investments or any of this stuff. Like this stuff, I heard in college. Well, I'm like, what? Like, what you mean? You got a save? You got a savings account? <laughs> um, and so. Um, for us, starting a business has been, um, I should say we, we didn't start debt-free um, because I didn't when I started my business, I didn't even know how to go about gaining capital. 
and this, I mean, I feel so embarrassed to even say this, but maybe it'll help somebody else. Um, I like, I took out a couple credit cards and that's how we pay for green coffee. Like that's how we pay for my small, I had a Hucky 500. Um, that's how we paid for that when we first started. Um, and then I, uh, as I was seeing like the, the, the toll that it was taking on my family, the first six months of our business, I was like, man, I got to do something different. And so I, um, I picked up this book by Dave Ramsey. Um, I don't agree with everything he said, a, a lot of what he says, but a, a lot of the the meat and potatoes of what he's saying is like, you know, you don't have to be in debt to be financially, you know, literate. Like, you don't... Anyway, so, um, yeah, I just was like, okay, well, I think this is... Let's just try to do this. And so we paid off all the credit cards and got it yard. So for us, it's just been like, we live off whatever we make from the business. Not live, but the, the business lives on whatever we make from the business. So we have a... Um, and, yeah, I'll just be transparent. I, I think being transparent about numbers is really good. Right now, 65% of our monthly sales, we um, will take home, like, you know, 65% of our monthly sales or whatnot. Um, and I say take home, but main like... That's our model. We're going to take home 65% of our monthly sales and 35% will um, throw it back into savings. And um, for us, what we did was we, we saw our tax return from last year um, as an opportunity to uh, reinvest into our business. And so our full tax return that we got, we just threw it right back into the business. And so that's how I bought our coffee roaster. Um, and that's why we got a smaller coffee roaster was because it's all we could afford. Um, and so, yeah, we've just kind of been like, Hey, we're going to just grow this thing slow. And which has been really hard because a lot of the people in the coffee industry that I love, like, you know, you got favorite coffee, you got Christina, um, he's a gl- glitter cat. You have ethnos coffee, which I'm really cool with. You have the, um, you know, Bartholomew with coffee black, like all these people, like they're growing and, um, we are not growing as fast because we're just committed to um, being debt free for the sake of my family, but also for the sake of just like stewarding our money well. Um, and so, um, yeah, I don't, I'm, I feel like I'm rambling a lot. I, I think you're not rambling. I think that, um, yeah, our, I just, I just don't want to be a slave to, to credit card companies and debt companies um you know we recently just got approved for a bigger roaster and i and i was so tempted to be like let's just do it we need this like we need to we need a bigger roaster because we do you know i'm spending 10 12 hours behind our little roaster now and um our philosophy has allowed me to it's forced me to be creative right and so it's like okay we said we weren't going to be in debt. So how are we going to get a bigger roaster? And I was like, Oh, well, let me just reach out to some people and see if they can rent a, if they'll rent a roaster. And like, now we've just, you know, partnered with a company stove, stovetop roasters and, um, Grand Rapids, Michigan, they're allowing us to rent their roaster. Shout out to them. Um, so it's, yes, yeah, it's, it's hard. I, I wish that I, <laughs> I wish that I could say that it's not cause I would rather just be like, please, you know, just take out this loan and just keep moving. But 
um, I think in the long term, we'll, we'll, we'll like, we will love what we've, what we've done as far as being debt free. So um, I think you've, yeah, I think you've identified something that I also really love the idea that you've had to get really creative. And I think creativity actually really flourishes when, um, when forced in confinement. So like if you set rules for yourself, like I, I can only do these certain things. Yeah. The rules you have kind of are, I can only move forward if I can do it debt free. And in those moments, even though they feel like you're, you're really limiting your yeah. ability to do certain things, it actually forces you to do other things in completely different ways. Yeah, exactly. And you know, that it's, it's a huge issue in the coffee industry, right? We're like the, what the second largest industry i think behind oil i could be wrong on that but i think we're we're up there um and yet like you know it's it's predominantly like dominated um not by people of color um and there's a huge issue of, of getting funding like that's why that's why i love like get you some gear like i love what they're doing with those grants i love seattle you know these co- these organizations that are recognizing that there's a gap between um yeah, there's a gap. You know, it's not because there's a lack of people of color who have the skills in our industry. It's, it's really a lot of times funding um, information and um, a lot of the stuff is like held tight and secret. It's like, man, like that's not how the industry gets better. Like any industry gets better as, as ideas are shared and people are challenged and yeah, creativity has to come along. So, um, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I, I, I'm glad that you identified, number one, I'm glad you identified that Get You Some Gear is doing some amazing things with redistributing wealth mm-hmm. and providing resources. Um, but two, that it's not for a lack of talent and it's not for a lack of people who want to be part of the conversation. So much of coffee's forward movement right now seems to be people who have access to capital mm-hmm. and we're leaving out so many people who would contribute so so beautifully to the industry by saying like this is the only way yeah you know yeah i think and i feel like your business model is showing like there are other ways to do this yeah and this is how i'm doing it yeah and it will and it won't be as fast like i mean i, I think as you know i'm a millennial like as a millennial i want things like right now like i want to go viral you know like i want this thing to happen pop off real quick when in reality like that's just not that's not realistic you know things take time and so um that's kind of why like I've, I've been trying to intentionally step back from social media so that I can like have a realistic view of like what 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 is realistic expectations for a business and being in my second year like I'm in I'm in a good spot and so um yeah yeah so I mean, that's a pretty good place to end, that you're in a good spot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so. Carlos, thank you for taking time to talk with me. I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, thank you for having me on. This was, this was a blessing. That was Carlos Sims Jr. of Happy Home Coffee Roasters. You can listen to the episode we recorded for the Matchbook Coffee Project by checking out their podcast. I also host that show as well. And you can learn more about Happy Home by visiting their website at www.happyhomecoffee.com. I'm just looking for a better day. Boss Barista is produced by me, Ashley Rodriguez. 
you can find a transcription of this episode on my newsletter, along with an accompanying article about this episode every Thursday at bossbarista.substack.com. To support the show, you can visit www.patreon.com bossbarista. We have over 80 patrons supporting the show right now, which is incredible. And that helps keep the show alive. We pay guests through this fund, we pay for website hosting, and we make donations. Half of our patron donations are currently pledged to five different nonprofits, each at $50 a month. Asada's Daughters, the Loveland Foundation, the Native American Rights Fund, the Grocery Run Club, and the Chicago Community Bond Fund. Again, if you want to support Boss Barista, consider making a monthly donation at www.patreon.com slash Another amazing way to support the show is to share this episode with just one person, a friend, someone who you think would learn something from this episode, anybody. Sharing on social media is also a huge help, along with giving us a five-star review on Apple iTunes. As a small production, these things matter a lot. So if you can take a little time, share out some of your favorite quotes from this episode, and tag us. That would be amazing. We're at Boss Barista Podcast on Instagram and Boss underscore Barista on Twitter. You can also send me an email at bossbaristapodcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next week.